Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today. This is Brian McKinley. Thank you for joining us. Today's episode is a special one for the most unfortunate reason. My heart breaks to share the news of Dr. McKinley's very unexpected passing this past week on the evening of Tuesday, August 9th, the day after we recorded this episode. He was 72. I hope that these conversations with my dad have been as meaningful for you as they have been for me. It has been a great honor and blessing to be a part of this program. I am confident that Ray McKinley's legacy will live on not only through his family and his community, but in all of us who have been touched by his wisdom. And what a collection of wisdom it is between his book and this podcast, and so much more, all of which I feel very fortunate to have to cherish for years to come. At the end of this episode, Dad will invite you to tune in again for our conversation next week. I chose to leave that in because he and I truly expected to have another week, and another, and another. This has been a shock. He had every intention of continuing the podcast for years to come. And that's the person he was, always visualizing his next project. I have only one thought to add at this time, which I hope will serve to punctuate for now this great work. Have faith in good character and do not be afraid for you have been equipped with everything you need to be able to face the elephant in your room. If you'd like more information, please visit raymckinleydds.com slash legacy. Hello, everyone. This is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today. Really glad you joined us. We have been spending quite a bit of time lately talking on our podcast about the examined life and we want to kind of come to some conclusions today about some things that we can do to take some steps and actions as a result of our examined life. We've been looking at personal decisions that we make, relationships, what gets in our way, what doesn't get in our way. And then we've also been talking about education and how important education is in this process of examining our life. And Brian, you know, what I want to do is when we look at an examined life, we're really just, it's a self-evaluation. And sometimes when we start having this conversation, people think, well, this is wrong, or that's not the way I'm supposed to do it, or I shouldn't do it this way, I shouldn't do it that way. And that's not the purpose of having this conversation. It isn't what's wrong, it isn't what's right. It's a choice we make. And one of the things that I like doing that kind of causes us to consider the choice is to put these concepts on a dichotomy or a continuum with the opposite on the left side of the continuum and the other benefit on the right side of the continuum. So as we look at an examined life and we're looking at a dichotomy, we're looking at the left side or the red side of the dichotomy, the blue side. Now we've been talking about red and blue for a long time 
And just for the new listener, the red would be something that we would want to consider stopping, and the blue would be something we want to consider doing more of. And those are things that we always are reflecting on. And what I want to do is talk a little bit more about what gets in our way of improving or moving up on this continuum from a red behavior to a more blue behavior. What seems to be getting in our way and what we can do about it. So one of the things I want to talk about when we've thrown this word around a lot is negations. And to me, the number one reason that we stay in our red behavior is because of the negations that are rattling around in our mind. And just so the audience understands what a negation is, by definition, it's the opposite of something actual or positive. Negations are the negative self-talk that consumes our mind. And these negations that are in our mindset are revealed in our verbal and nonverbal communications with others as well as in our tonality also conveys a negation. So if we're mad or angry about something, that'll come through in our tone, might come through in the words we use and the choices we make in our conversations. So if we're going to begin to change red behavior in our examined life, we really got to look at negations. And the underpinning of a negation is what we truly believe deep down inside. So, Brian, as I throw that definition of negations and look at that, it's really coming from a core belief that we have deep inside. What's your thought about that? And would you explain it in your own terms in a different way? Sure. So a negation to me sounds almost like a defense mechanism or an excuse. And it's just an operation of circumventing personal responsibility or self-examination. It's an obstacle that you put in front of yourself, and it becomes a mantra of why I can't. And I think that all of the impediments to transitioning to the blue side of the dichotomy are related to some kind of negation of either I can't go there or I'm stuck on the one side, I'm stuck in the red. And often negations are, I think, rooted in a lot of apathy. And like you said, that relates to a belief. I don't know if I can articulate that belief right now, but it's just one could say I don't care. One could say I or I'm unable to, and those are, I think, some of the more popular negations that get in the way of examining your life and trying to implement blue behavior. You know, it's like the book title is Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, and we talk about the elephant in the room that's standing in plain sight that gets in our way of having positive relationships and conversations with others. Negation is really the elephant in our mind. It's the negative feelings and emotions that consume our self-talk. They could be detrimental memories that aren't serving us anymore. There could be debilitating beliefs. Oftentimes, these beliefs aren't even true. They might have been true at one time. Maybe they weren't even true then, but they may not be true now. But we continue to have them rattle around in our mind, these negations, based on untrue beliefs. And if we never self-examine and go back and look at that, we can be stuck in that red behavior in red circumstance for the rest of our life. 
It can also come from negative thoughts that create confusion when making choices. You know, it's the I can't mentality that you talked about. It's just not believing that we can, that we're not worthy of, or, you know, we've never done it before. We have too much fear, too much anxiety. All these things can create some very strong negations in us. And oftentimes it's the absence of having anything positive in our life. Just many people go through life without being positively affirmed and positively loved. So it can cause these negations to build on one after the other after the other. And it makes it very difficult. You know, I talked about the three decision centers of the brain, basically the limbic part of the brain, the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex. And the limbic part of the brain is where our feelings come from. So negations lead to so many negative feelings. The hippocampus is where our memories are stored. And if we have a lot of negative memories, then the hippocampus is working against us because of the memories it keeps bringing to the forefront and causing these negations to stay in our mind. And then the other is the prefrontal cortex. As we start thinking about these things, we get apprehensive, we get anxious, we draw some conclusions that we can't, we won't, we shouldn't, whatever else it might be. So these three centers of the brain, all being contaminated and poisoned by these negations, really make it very difficult for us to advance ourselves as we examine our life and say, what can we do to have it be better? How can we become more blue? And one of the things that I find is to overcome some of these negations, we need to negate the negations with positive precepts or what I would call affirmations. And let's throw that word out because precepts is a great word. And let's talk about that for a second because I believe that precepts negate negations. See, precepts are the intentional statements that are designed to alter and create a new belief, value, or principle with the intention of bringing about a new belief, replacing an old habit, or replacing how we responded to something from the past, a memory. Precepts are helpful in changing our red responses to more blue responses, because precepts that are stated repeatedly as we think and speak, they will overcome negative self-talk, and new beliefs, values, and principles will become more part of our behavior. So. Brian, this is interesting. You know, when I first read about precepts, Napoleon Hill wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. It's a famous book written back in the 30s, almost 100 years ago. But it's been referred to by many, many other authors over the years because it's so true. And what he talked about was what we think about, what the mind conceives and believes, the mind eventually does. And if you believe the Napoleon Hill statement, and start applying that to your life, what the mind conceives and believes, the mind eventually does. We can use that principle, that precept, to change from having this negative self-talk and eradicate some of these negations that cause us to stay in red behavior and move to a place of blue behavior. What are your thoughts about Napoleon Hill's quote, what the mind conceives and believes, the mind eventually does, Brian? Well, I think that he's right on, and I think he's talking about real life. I think he's selling out some practical knowledge about how to install a precept and to have it in one's mind on repeat, and that just having that there changes 
everything about you. It changes your attitude. It changes your demeanor. It changes your body language. It changes your approach. It changes your fortitude in difficult situations. It strengthens your ability to deal with stress. And you're tougher as you go forward through the hard part of life. And then you're also more cognizant of what happened that made this hard. And then you're also able to be more present when you get to victory or you get to the other side of that challenge or you're enjoying your life. Maybe you're in a sweet spot in life and you're just enjoying it. All of that is the result of a mental state that has all been deliberately examined and deliberately pre-intentioned for your life. And what it is not is it is not superstitious. We're not talking about just manifest it through your thoughts. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the assiduous effort to change one's mind and change one's self. And I think that it's real. You can observe it in people who are making life-altering health-related decisions and people who are proactively dealing with conflict in their relationship, people who are proactively trying to put trauma from their past, trying to put that to rest, people who are deliberately trying to raise children of character. That stuff doesn't happen without precepts. I mean, the default habit seems to be to negate and avoid changing and growing at all costs. So precepts are the main ingredient, it seems, to starting this process. And it starts yeah. in one individual, and that individual then has the opportunity to lead others to new precepts. Brian, let's do this for the audience, and let's talk about this specifically. Sometimes they say, well, give me an example. What's this like? I'm going to give a series of examples. I'm going to be weighing in on each one. I'm going to present the precept, and you apply it. So here's the first one. I will see failure as my opportunity to learn. Weigh in on that. I will see failure as my opportunity to learn. Yeah, well, that's not an easy one because failure is so painful. And we've talked in the past about how the temptation of pride, which is a red behavior, really situates us to manipulate and avoid failure at all costs. And I think that that could be coupled with other precepts about staying humble and recognizing that you can't win them all, you're going to fail, and that that is a learning opportunity, even though it's painful. I don't really know, like, the secret sauce or the magic wand to suddenly adopt that precept. For an individual to just suddenly say, okay, that is my principle now to always go forward with a mindset of failures are learning opportunities. I don't know the magic to apply that, but I do believe that if applied, that failures aren't going to be as bitter when they happen, which they will happen. They're not going to be as bitter because you're already primed suited up with a mindset of, okay, where's the silver lining? What did I learn? How am I going to change? And how can I do this better next time? 
Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think my awareness of how important this was for me to, to really embrace failure is when I was taking chemistry, which is a very difficult class in college for me to take. And I was committed to getting an A, as wanting to be a dentist. I knew that I had to have an A in chemistry or there was not going to be an acceptance of my application. So I had to have an A. So when I was in the class, I remember the professor asking a question and the professor would say something that I didn't understand. And another student in the class who knew what he understood answered it and gave the right answer. Then the professor just assumed that everybody else in the class knew what he just gave the answer to. And I'm sitting there, wait a minute, I don't understand this at all. So I started to realize that I needed to be willing to have failure. If I didn't know the answer to the question, I raised my hand more often when I didn't know and gave my answer that I thought was right. But then the professor said, no, Mac, that's not it. And they would explain it to me. Well, I was able to get my A because I was willing to accept failure and learn in the process. So to me, I really learned early. And I even learned it before that. I didn't even learn it when I was growing up. My dad would send me out to do projects, which I never did before. But he knew I could do it, hopefully, without getting hurt. And he would send me out to a project. And then when it failed, he said, OK, Rick, what'd you learn? I think my dad purposely sent me out to do projects that I could fail at so I could have the experience of failure and see it as an opportunity to learn. And I think if we change our mindset and don't see failure as a negative thing, but see it as a positive thing, and I always did. I didn't like failure. I would prefer success, but it didn't cripple me the next time an opportunity came along where I said, well, I don't, I'm afraid to fail. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to even try. Because if we're afraid to fail, we're afraid to try. So if you just take on that precept, when you see an opportunity to fail, say, yeah, I'll go for it. I'll do it. I'll try it. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. Because if I succeed, great. If I don't, I'm going to learn something. And that's a great yeah. precept to have. And that changes you from being having a red response to a blue response. And that's why I think that's an important one when we start looking at taking personal responsibility for our life, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, and there's like precepts that you can add as sort of like backup or reinforcing precepts that go along with absolutely ones here that you're using as an example in addition to saying i see failures as opportunities to learn you can also say something like i am strong enough to deal with temporary discomfort of looking foolish or sounding stupid in order to learn what i need to learn and go through this experience to discover what I need to discover. Yeah, I was labeled by the other 45, 50 kids in my class as the stupid one because I always gave the wrong answer. But I was one of the three students in the class out of the 45 that got an A. And I was the stupid one. So, right. you know, you can't forget that. I mean, it was a big lesson for me to know that it was more important that I got the information than it was to look good or Looking look right. Like you knew what was going on. Exactly. You know, another one that I want to throw out as we get through this list of them, because I have quite a few here today, but I want to weigh in on all of them so people can start processing them individually and how that applies to them. I will find meaning to my pain and suffering. Now, for me, that was big because I experienced a lot of pain and suffering in my young years, and it was really around the death of my brother. 
and all the pain I felt about being responsible for that and all the decisions I made as a result of not being worthy, not being lovable, not being this, not being that. I was defining that pain and suffering in a very negative way. And negations were rattling around in my brain constantly around, you know, I wasn't being careful. I should have done this. I should have done that. And all this negations just rattling around in my mind that I really needed to find meaning to my pain and suffering. And until I was able to do that, I wasn't able to turn those negations away and move up to a more little response. So it was important for me to find meaning to pain and suffering. Your thoughts about that, Brian? I'll just say that I definitely agree. I think it's a sad place where you're stuck on that. If you're not processing your pain and suffering and finding the ways that it strengthened you or things that it taught you or values that it brought into your life, then, well, that's no good. And yeah. it's important that all of us process that pain and suffering. And sometimes that's hard to do on your own. Sometimes you have to start having conversations with a counselor and somebody that you trust and is meaningful that doesn't necessarily buy into your pain and suffering, but really is there to process you out of it connecting with somebody who's wise counsel. And wise counsel is not a codependent relationship that says, oh, you have every right to feel that way. Oh yeah, I don't blame you for having it. That was terrible. No one should have to go through what you went through. Well, that doesn't really help you find meaning to your pain and suffering. So I think another precept that I build off of that one is I will reject codependent relationships. I will reject those relationships that keep me stuck in my lamenting of my pain and suffering, keep me stuck in my negations. In fact, they have the same negations in their mind that I have in mine, so we get along so well. That's why codependent relationships exist, because we both have similar negations. So what I find is, is that I have somebody who's echoing and complaining about my negations. I need to reject that codependent relationship and find a different one. So that, to me, is very important. And like you said, a lot of these precepts play off each other. You know, another one I think I would want the listener to consider, and this is a tough one, too. All of these are not easy to consider. But if we can weigh in on them and make a shift, we can see our red behaviors become more blue. And this is, I am personally responsible for how I respond to every situation. You know, you and I read one of our favorite books, I know it's yours and I know it's mine, Victor Frankl's A Man's Search for Meaning. And that was his primary premise and primary precept in the book was, you need to take personal responsibility for how you respond to every situation. In other words, it's how you respond to the situation that matters. It's not the situation itself. And he, as a young man, a young psychiatrist in Vienna, was put in the concentration camps in World War II. So he had a lot of reasons to respond very negatively and have a lot of negations in his life. So he wrote a book about how important it was for us to take personal responsibility to how we respond to the situation and go back and change our beliefs about it. Didn't change what happened, but we can change what we believe about it. So your thoughts about Victor Frankl's message in The Man's Search for Meaning and I am personally responsible for how I respond in every situation. Yeah, even if you had no control at the time, you have control now. And that's the power of response. You might not be able to change what happens to you, but you can always change 
how it's affecting you today. And that's a long process, but it is a possibility for everyone to go on the search for meaning and respond to what has happened to you differently. Yeah. I think it's so important that we consider that because when a person is so angry about things that have happened in their past, it comes through in their attitude, it comes through in their demeanor, comes through in the sour words they use in their conversation. The words, the victim mindset comes to mind. And as long as we stay in that place where we are going to continue to respond as a victim, we'll stay stuck in that forever. Speaking of victim and victimhood, another one which really was a critical one for me, and it was a hard one to do, very hard, and that's, I will write a forgiveness letter when I find it difficult to forgive. I wrote a number of forgiveness letters in my life. Some people would call it journaling. Some people would actually call it writing a letter to someone specifically. But whatever it is, it's your opportunity to get out and put on paper what really, really, really is bothering you about the situation that you just can't forgive. For me, I couldn't forgive God for some things that happened to me in my younger years. And I mean, that was difficult because I did a lot of journaling about that and eventually was able to find a way to forgive and realize that it was more about me than it was about God. And then I also had maybe a lot of anger at my dad for how he responded to the situation and I needed to write him a forgiveness letter. Now, this isn't necessarily one you have to give to the person, but it's the one you need to write for yourself. Because by writing out a forgiveness letter, you begin to change your thinking about it. And if you put the other precepts together with the forgiveness letter by saying, I'm personally responsible for how I respond in every situation. I need to find meaning to my pain and suffering. That changes your ability to write forgiveness letter. Just those two precepts in addition to the precept, I will write a forgiveness letter one. I find it difficult to forgive. But I have seen this play out over and over and over again with other people when they're able to state their forgiveness, even if the person who they want to forgive never hears about it. The fact of going through the process of stating it to yourself causes your negations to mitigate and go away. And you start going up the scale from red behavior to blue behavior. And that's really the goal of the examined life is to really look at it and say, okay, what's keeping me stuck here? So oftentimes victimhood, blame, keep people stuck more than anything. And oftentimes behind blame and victimhood is unforgiveness. So the forgiveness letter is a very important thing to do or journal about what you're angry about, then you'll find that that'll convert to conversations and writing about forgiveness. That's got to be one of the most valuable things a person could ever do, ever. I mean, we talk about some pretty valuable exercises here in terms of self-examination, and that feeling of broken relationships is, I think, of the utmost value. And that forgiveness letter is a part of that. For sure. And I think it's so important. I was listening to Tony Robbins' Netflix video last night. My wife asked me to listen to it. And it was called I'm Not Your Guru. And it was really quite well done. I thought it was great. And one of the processes that Tony Robbins goes through in his audience is he brings out a person who's 
stuck in their lamenting of their situation in their life and not where they want to be. And they're also oftentimes going to this conference that Tony Robbins does as a way to find an answer. Generally, people go to Tony Robbins are searching. So that's the first step is to be aware that you need to search for something. And clearly in her history, she disclosed things that she was unable to forgive for. And Tony put her through a process of forgiveness and reconsidering that. And it made a huge shift in that young lady's life. And it was neat about at the end of the program, they went back and talked to these handful of people that they featured in the film a year later and found out where they were in their life and what affected going to this conference and having this interaction with Tony and taking a look at the, taking personal responsibility for forgiving and what has changed in their life for the better. And clearly these people had shifted from a red mindset to a more blue mindset. No, it wasn't a hundred percent blue. I get that. It normally takes time, but just in a year, it made a tremendous shift. And that's just common sense that as long as we keep holding on to blame, anger, bitterness, fear, that's been perpetrated by other people or maybe even by God, we have to move beyond that and forgive. So I think that's very important. You know, this next precept that I have, Brian, really came out of all the previous ones I just talked about. And this is a tough one. I will allow others to have personal responsibility for their own mischief. What's your thought about that one, Brian, before I weigh in on it? Yeah, well, I feel like this is going to relate to blame. And when someone we care about or who we're maybe shepherding or one of our children or someone we feel responsible for or someone close to us is suffering or is in pain or maybe is making some serious mistakes, it's all too common to have an unhealthy entanglement and blame oneself for that other person's decision. So I think what you're alluding to is to stop blaming yourself for the things in your life that are really decisions that other people are making. And it's kind of like recognizing what you can control and what you cannot control and the wisdom to know the difference and recognizing there are things that are out of your control and you got to let other people take responsibility for that and just don't blame yourself for that. You know, and I think you also find yourself in a codependent relationship when you do that. When you buy into their blame, you buy into the victim mindset, you're just keeping them stuck. They're never going to break out of the pattern. As long as people keep saying to them, oh, yeah, you have a right to feel that way. You know, I had a sibling who was really had some tough things that they went through in their younger years. And many of my other siblings totally supported them in their lament and their situation. And they said, you, you had every right to feel that way. You had every right to be angry, every right to never forgive. And I saw that happen. Thinking, this is poison. The number of negations that are rattling around in their mind, I know the negations because I hear them, because they voice them. And when they start thinking of that other person, they start talking about the other person, their dialogue is filled with poisonous words. I'm thinking, this is crazy. I'm not going to support this. You know, you have to take personal responsibility for your part of the mischief in this. Your part of the mischief was maybe you have no blame. However, 
like Victor Franco says, you have personal responsibility in how you respond to the situation. And you know, unless you respond differently to the situation and maybe consider forgiveness and consider getting rid of those negations in your mind, you're going to stay stuck here forever. And of course, because I took that position, I had many of my siblings be quite angry at me and be mad at me and come to me and try to talk to me. And they tried to talk me in to say, you need to understand that this person needs your support. They need to know that you know that this happened to them and you should be upset about it and you should never talk to that person again and you should do this and you should do that. They start telling me, oh, I should do all these things. And I'm thinking, well, that means I would have to break this precept that I decided to live by. I will allow others to have personal responsibility for their own mischief. And I'd look at him and I'd say, no, I'm not going to be a codependent in this lament. I'm not going to do it because I know if I continue to do that, that person's never going to break their pattern. So I had, by standing firm and saying I wasn't going to do it, eventually that person was able to take personal responsibility for everything that happened in their life and had a different response to it. Yes, it didn't change what happened, but the response changed. And that was a huge, huge paradigm shift. To watch that person go from the red behavior to blue behavior was one of the greatest observations that I could ever have. And it was the greatest expression of love I could have ever given that person was to stand firm and not get in their way by continuing to agree with them. So that's the big one that caused me to write this down as a precept of mine. And I think to all others to take personal responsibility for their own mischief, because we all have responsibility for everything that happens in our life. So your thoughts about that, Brian? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting scenario. And it just seems like sometimes people, I think, want to stay stuck or celebrate their victimization and yeah, it takes do. a long time before you realize all the ways that that doesn't serve you. Yeah, and, you know, and I'm not critical of anybody that takes a long time because it took me 35 years for me to recognize this is what I was doing. The same thing I observed in somebody else. It took me 35 years to break through the pattern of those negations and change them to precepts. So I'm never critical of somebody that takes a long time to figure it out. And anybody on this call that thinks that it's as simple as changing some words and it changes, it's not that simple, but it's the start of the process. It's moving up the continuum. It's moving from more blueness away from the redness. And eventually in time, it does make a difference. You know, one of yeah. your favorite ones, Brian, and I have to give you credit for this one because this is an extrapolation of a lot of these precepts. You turn this into a, actually a lecture that I heard you give. I will see life as a series of opportunities. And I think your lecture title was, you see life as a series of problems, or you see life as a series of opportunities. And you projected the audience into considering that dichotomy. So I started looking at life as a series of opportunities, which ties into mine, which I will see failure as my opportunity to learn, one of the first one I mentioned. So, Brian, I don't want to steal your thunder away from your lecture, so I'll give you a chance to weigh in on life as a series of opportunities. Yeah, there's really two types of people, and that's just the people who view life as a series of problems, and then there's people who view life as a series of opportunities. And when I say opportunities, I really mean you know, a growth orientation and a meaning orientation, which is just exactly what we've been talking about today. Yes. You know, 
in that precept of I will embrace failure as an opportunity to learn, right? Yes. Instead of seeing failure as a problem, you're looking at failure as in the natural course of things, and and every failure is an opportunity to learn. And in all the pain and suffering, that's an opportunity to find meaning, maybe connect with other people who are having pain and suffering. You know, to be in a relationship with someone who's really struggling, to get into that relationship and not get entangled in the problems, but to see all those issues as an opportunity for that person to transcend and grow stronger and learn from what's happened and maybe be a model for someone else who has similar pain and suffering. That is the antidote to codependence. You know? Yes. So it's just like the rest of the precepts. It's just an attitude adjustment. And then yes. you start to talk through the day-by-day problem differently. And you see them as opportunities to help others. You see them as opportunities for you to grow, to enhance your skills, to add another relationship into your life, to meet a new person, to make someone's day. You know, all this stuff is going on. It's chaos. And every little moment is an opportunity for you to shine a light in a dark, dark world. Absolutely. You know, another precept that I created to help me, because this one was a really tough one for me. Someone gave me a book a long time ago, and it was called Blaming Yourself and Others by Ricker out of Colorado. And he talked about stop blaming yourself and others. And I realized how much blaming I was doing. I mean, everything that happened, I was blaming things from the past on people. I was blaming things in the current moment. I was blaming for things that I projected or presumed would happen in the future on other people. So it was just a big blind spot for me, how much blaming I was doing. And one of the things I did is suggested in the book, put a little band on my wrist. And every time I blamed, I switch it from one wrist to the other wrist and then back and forth, back and forth. I realized just in an hour, I had already switched it a dozen times. You know, I just couldn't believe how much blaming I was doing. So one of the precepts I've created, and it's really a simple one because again, it's what the mind continually says to itself, the mind will eventually believe. And this is the precept. I will say to myself, stop, when blame begins to fall off my lips. And when I say stop, I visualize a red stop sign so that I found myself every time I started to feel blame fall off my lips, I'd say, stop, I'm not going there. I'm not sure where I'm going to go, but I'm going to stop doing that. It took a long time for me to break that pattern. However, as soon as I stopped blaming verbally, I found myself stop blaming in the negations in my mind. And then by stopping the negative negations, the blame negations in my mind, guess what came out on the other end? I found myself taking personal responsibility. And I didn't make a purposeful intention to take personal responsibility, but when I stopped blaming, that was the outcome because there was nothing left. As soon as I stopped blaming, now what else is there? You only have one choice. So when you stop blaming, Brian, what's the choice? To look at your own involvement and your own ability to respond 
Yeah. So the simple thing of that stop sign was huge for me. It took me a while to really figure it out, but that's exactly what was happening when I stopped. I started looking at my own mischief, my own situation, and what I could do about it differently. And that was a huge, huge awareness for me to have. Another precept. I'm going to close with this one because I think this is a fun one. I made a decision that I'm going to stop shooting on myself and others. One of the things I was really good at was I was telling everybody else what they should do. And if I didn't tell them, I was thinking it. I was thinking of what they should do. Oh, I wouldn't do that. They should do this. And then not only that, if I felt someone should do something, I'd go to somebody else and tell them, I think that person should do this. I think Ralph should do that. I think Jack should do that. And I'd go to Jack's friend and say, what do you think? Yeah, I think Jack should do that. So I found myself shooting on myself and others, and I call it shooting. And it's spelled S-H-O-U-L-D-I-N-G. And you won't find it in the dictionary, but it should be in the dictionary. I'm going to use the word should here because it describes in a very active way. Shooting is the action of saying should to other people. And I found that it didn't serve myself and it didn't serve others when I did. When I taught the class, I would say to the kids, you know, because I would tell them something from the day before. And they'd say, you know, you told us we should do this and we should do that. And we're supposed to do this and supposed to do that. And I said, well, wait, wait, time out, time out. Did I use that word, should or supposed to? And they went, well, yeah, I think so. No, let's go back and listen to the recording. And you realize that I never said should or I never said supposed to. When I gave a suggestion of some things to consider, you threw the word in suppose and should because that's what was been put on you your whole life. What I wanted to get the kids to recognize is that there's a difference between making a decision to do something and then being should on. Because you're taking personal responsibility for the things that you're deciding to do instead of responding to what uh, people are shooting on you. Your thoughts about shooting, Brian? <laughs> uh, uh, it's kind of annoying. Actually, once you start to really suss it out, you know, being shut yeah. on is really quite a pesky thing. Yeah. You know, because you want to be the author of your own life. And we're just in the habit of doing that to everybody else, especially young people. And that is not allowing critical thinking. It's not allowing authenticity. It's not allowing room for that person to examine their own life because you're just projecting your should into their mind. Mm -hmm. So in the interest of examining your own life, examine your own life. Don't worry about what other people are telling you you should or should not do. That's what we're asking the listener to do, and that's what I asked the reader of Ride the Elephant, Journey to Success, to do. Because until you start doing that, almost impossible to move out of the red behavior to the blue behavior. So, Brian, it's been a great conversation with you again. You always bring some enlightenment to these concepts, and hopefully the listener can appreciate them more through your lens and through your words of how you present it. I want to invite you again next time for another conversation about precepts, and we'll get together in a week. So hope all of you will join us then. Everyone have a great week, and uh, we'll see you then.